the righteousness of faith. All right. I have something for you. It's from Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's the Word of God. He's got something he'd like to say to you. So all of you, you have an opportunity to receive from him. And however much you'd like to receive, you determine. And the more you draw, and the more you expect, the more is going to come out. So Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And we open the word, we open our hearts, we open our eyes to see, to hear, to know what you're saying unto us. And this word will feed our spirit. It will feed the imaginations and the thoughts of our heart and our mind, transform our mind, and even the word which is medicine shall heal our bodies and keep us strong. So we thank you for it. And we receive this gift of light and revelation that comes from you by your spirit. Amen. All right, open with me to Romans chapter 1. I'll be reading out of the King James Version. You can follow me along. And I'm going to speak with you on a topic that I've got a title of that says, Faith Hears, Faith Comes, Faith Creates. So starting in Romans, in the first chapter, 15th verse, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if we back up, we'll see that the power of God is the gospel of Christ unto salvation, and in that, the righteousness of God is revealed. Revealed from faith to faith. Notice revealed from faith. It takes faith to receive revelation. It takes faith to hear. To faith. And now we have something that we can put our faith on. If you go over to Romans, same book, over to chapter 10, verse 17. Most of us are familiar with this. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It takes faith to hear. But also what we hear brings faith. Now we're going to go over to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This will be our main text that we keep going back to. And I'll start in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
Now we'll back up a little here and see in verse 2, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision. What's the vision? The vision is what he said. What he said comes in a vision, comes in a revelation. All right? So if you go over to Psalm 89, I'll show you a little more about this. And in the 89th Psalm, down in verse 19, he says, Then thou spake in vision to thy Holy One and said, The Lord speaks in vision. His language is vision. When he speaks, we see inside. If we're not seeing what he's saying, you're not understanding. Just like if someone talks in a different language to you, they're speaking words. They may not even, they obviously would understand them, but if I don't speak that language, I don't get an image of it. I don't get a picture. I don't get an understanding or a knowing of what's being said. So the Lord, he speaks in vision. We were just in Romans. We'll just flip back there again, and we'll see that example of this in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 11, in the fourth verse. Very similar. And he says, But what says the answer of God unto him? The phrase answer of God in the Greek reads also divine response or divine answer, revelation or oracle. So in Psalm 89, when we see the Lord speaks in vision, the word vision there in the Hebrew is the exact same word in Habakkuk that he said, write the vision. That Hebrew word translates as vision, revelation, oracle, dream, or inspired appearance. Now we'll see this with Abraham over in Genesis chapter 15, okay? Genesis 15, first verse. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. And then in verse 4 he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, The word behold there? Is, is in the Hebrew, has got to do with demonstration. He's telling you to look at something that's to see. He's not just telling you to think about it or consider. He's saying, look. I'm showing you something. Watch. The word of the Lord came unto him. This shall not be your heir, but one that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And brought him forth and said, Look. Toward the heaven, tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He gave him something to look at and gave him his promise at the same time. He gave him a vision of what he was saying. The Lord speaks in vision. Now, the Lord also speaks in this vision. What he gives us is a vision. I'm going to just explain that a bit. Vision. When I say vision, I mean a vision, a revelation, 
an imagination, imagination of the heart. It could be a picture. It could be just a knowing, an expectancy. The New Testament, quite often, uh, the word there would be hope. The word hope in the New Testament is expectation. It's got to do with the imaginations of the heart. So I've got some examples here. We'll just look at some men through the Bible that had fellowship with the Lord, with God, and things took place as far as hearing from him and seeing. Starting at the beginning with Adam. Here's a man that walked with God prior to his fall. And in Genesis 3, verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, this is in the negative, but it gives implication that they, before the fall, before they sinned, this was a common occurrence. And if you note the words, the voice, walking, Adam walked with God. The voice, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool is interesting. It's only the second time it's used in the Bible. The very first time it was used in the Bible was spirit. The spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And that same word, spirit, says here, cool of the day. Something to consider. You've got the voice, walking, spirit, and the presence. Where God's voice is, his presence is. When he's speaking to you and you're getting revelation, you're seeing something, he's there. Now, we know he's with us always. He said he'd never leave us. But I'm talking his active presence. He's active. And you're connected with him. He's not just in the room and you're ignoring him. He's there. Next one I'd like to point out is Enoch. Chapter 5. Genesis 5. 22. And Enoch walked with God. Amplified says, in habitual fellowship. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God took him? Where'd he go? Hebrews 11 will tell us. Hebrews 11 tells us about a lot of men of faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing, so he heard something. Enoch heard something. Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated. Hmm. So he had faith to be translated. Where did he get that faith? He must have heard something. He must have seen something that he could hook his faith with. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is or he exists, he's real, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So here's a man that's walking in habitual fellowship with God because he believes he exists. He doesn't have to see him with his own physical eyes. He knows he's there. He's heard the stories. He's a, he's a descendant of Adam. 
And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What was his reward? <laughs> Fellowship, one. Two, he got translated. He left. So what he saw, what he was told in that fellowship during those 300 years, obviously I would think near the end, <laughs> he saw something and he said, I'll take that now, thank you. If you go into Jude, you'll see a little more about that. What, what was his faith on? What was, he, what was he seeing? This man was, this man was interesting. In Jude 14, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, he's saying, Look, look, I'm showing you something. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. He goes on and tells about what? My point is, is he's seeing it. This man at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 5 is seeing the saints coming back with Jesus. He's seeing the beginning of the seventh millennium. He's seeing Jesus come back with saints. There weren't any saints yet. There was no church yet. There was no Jesus manifest in the flesh coming back as the Son of God yet to execute judgment. And he was seeing it. Well, what else did he see? Did he see the translation of the church? Maybe. And by faith he was translated. So you can see how in fellowship... He was hearing, he was seeing, he was knowing, he used his faith, and he got a reward. Well, Adam, what was his reward? He walked with God. How did he name all those animals? How did he name everything? That's a, that's a huge task. He walked with God in the cool of the day, in his presence. Another man would have been Noah. Noah walked with God. Now, before we look at Noah, we'll just back up a little bit as to what was going on here. In Genesis 6, and just to show you how important this imagination and our heart and what we're seeing is, in Genesis 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Hmm. The Hebrew lets us know the whole imagination, his entire imagination, all he saw, all he imagined, all he thought was only evil continually. It says in the Hebrew that the word signifies not only the imagination, but also the purposes and the desires. Everyone was corrupted. No one was walking with God. No one was thinking about him. No one was hearing from him and having their thoughts and their imaginations fed with his word and with his vision. They weren't seeing anything from him, and it was wicked. And there's a problem with that, because Jesus lets us know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and brings forth. So, bringing forth what? Go down to verse 12. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. Corrupted his way, because it was filled. It was coming out. They, they were living in the environment that they had inside of them. Just like all of you do. Every one of you. All of us, me included, we all live out of our heart. And it's out of that, that, 
non-conscious, subconscious area that most, the vast majority, I've heard 90% might be more, right around there, it's a lot. Most of what we do, most of how we live, think, respond, how we act, our, our personal environment, how we live in our homes, what we see, how we think, it's all part and parcel to how we think in our non-conscious mind, not the conscious mind, not the part that you can control a little bit for a little bit of time, that automatic, autopilot. So that's how important this is. Now, with Noah, he said, God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh come before me. This is verse 13. For the earth is filled with violence through them. The earth is filled with violence through them. Why? Because they had evil imaginations. And behold, I will destroy them. He said, behold, look, I'm showing you something. Watch. Now, (laughs) he saw ahead of time. I don't know how much he saw. We don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, the Lord speaks in vision. He saw something. I will destroy them with the earth. And then he tells Noah, make an ark of gopher wood. Rooms you shall make in the ark. Pitch it within and without. This is the fashion that you shall make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. The breadth of it 50. The height of it 30 cubits. A window shall thou make to the ark. And in a cubit shall thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shall thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories, shall thou make it. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was all I had for a plan, I don't think I'd be building an ark. It's not enough detail. I mean, there's, there's measurements. There's the type of wood. You know, put a window up there somewhere, put a, put a door down there somewhere. Oh, yeah, and there's going to be lower, second, and third stories. Well, how does this thing fit together? What does it look like? I mean, if you've never seen one before, and he's not building it in the ocean. He's not building it at the shipbuilding plant. He saw it. The Lord speaks in vision. He's speaking him, giving him dimensions, and he's seeing, he's feeding his imagination. He must have seen it in order to build it. He saw something. It's a blueprint. Anyone that's building anything, I mean, I've built things before, and I couldn't build them until I had a, a knowing. I had to see it. Dimensions weren't enough. I knew how, where it was going. You know, like a building, a little barn. Knew what size it would be. But I needed some detail. And that took some plan. That took some seeing it and then writing it down and knowing it. So there's Noah. What was his reward? Well, him and his family, they, they made it through that flood and through the destruction. And they made it over and started the, you know, continued the race of, of men on the earth. So they weren't destroyed. I mean, that was a good thing. So there's, there's Adam, there's Enoch, there's Noah, and then there's Moses. Moses walked with God. Moses talked with God as a man face to face. Over in Hebrews... Chapter 8, we're going to see that Moses had something significant. 8 verse 5, who serve as an example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the temple, so to speak, in the wilderness, the one they would 
put together like a tent takedown and that thing was extravagant and it had to be exact had to be perfect because it had to be a representation in earth of what was in heaven and it would carry the presence of God it would be their place of worship the place where the sacrifices would be given and God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see see says he that thou make all things according to the pattern shown. Pattern shown to thee on the mount. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights twice with the Lord on the mountain. With him. And he was shown the tabernacle amongst other things. And that's what he built. What he was shown. Now that's significant. In fellowship with God, heard, spoke, vision, built, made something. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's go over to Hebrews 11. And we'll see just something more about Abraham. We talked about Abraham already, but he walked with God. His relationship was unique. He's the father of our faith. A lot of things took place with him. Uh, One thing significant in verse... Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 17. By faith, when, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God had called him to offer Isaac up on, on the mountain as a burnt offering. But he said, yeah, your seed's going to outnumber the stars, so shall your seed be. And, oh yeah, take that boy and kill him. Burn him. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead from whence he also received him in a figure, in a figure, in an image. He saw it. He saw Isaac being raised from the dead out of that ashes. How? So shall your seed be. It's going to outnumber the stars, the sand on the sea. So shall your seed be. Who else? David. We know David was a man after God's own heart. He walked with God. First Chronicles, chapter 28. There's another really good example of walking with him in fellowship. And the Lord speaks. I mean, David heard from God. He was a prophet. He was a man after God's own heart. He was quick to repent. He knew things about God that the people in the law didn't know. <laughs> Wow, he had a relationship. First Chronicles, uh, chapter 28, verse 11. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern. Now David had it in his heart to build a temple. Not the tent, not the tabernacle, but a temple. And Nathan the prophet says, whatever's in your heart, go ahead and do it. But then he turned around and came back and says, no, nope, Lord says you can't do it. Too much blood. You've killed too many, you know, you've been to war, you've had too much blood shed, your son will do it. And then David says, well, I can, I can make preparations then. So here's David talking to Solomon, and he gave to Solomon his son the pattern. Verse 12, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. David received the pattern for the temple by the Spirit. It was given to him. He had a pattern. 
So there's Solomon. He's got a plan, a blueprint, something to build. He's got all the resources, and all that came from David who got it by the Spirit. Jesus. There's another example, and probably our best one, I would say. Did he walk with God? Yeah. Did he pray? Did he fellowship with him in habitual fellowship? Yeah. Go to John chapter 5. John 5, 19. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. Was he seeing it with his physical eyes? No. He's seeing it in the Spirit. He's seeing something. What he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater things than these that you may marvel. All right. So we've looked at examples of the past. Where do we fit? Let's look at us. We have a place in this. How do we apply this? Well, we're filled with Holy Spirit, right? We've been baptized in Holy Spirit and fire. Those of us that have and those of us that haven't, well, you're welcome to. It's an open invitation. John 16, verse 13. Now let's look at a portion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. To us believers, to us that believe, that have relationship with the Lord. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Show. 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, said I, he will take of mine and shall show it unto you. Three times in a row, he's going to show you what he hears, what he receives, what he takes. He's going to show it. How's he going to show it? He's going to tell us. He's going to speak. He's going to bear witness in our heart. He's going to give us light, revelation. It takes light to see. So, light, vision, revelation, that's what we're talking about here. First John, still talking about us. Where do we fit in? Because that's the purpose of this, is we need to take these words and see this and be able to apply it to ourselves. So we've got the Holy Spirit to help us. We've got the Holy Spirit to, to help us build that imagination and, and give us the revelation and the vision so we can do what we see in the Word and what we're hearing from the Word. When pastor's preaching, when he's teaching, Holy Spirit ought to be speaking to you. And you ought to be seeing something. If all you're hearing is words, and it's just words, it's dead. It's empty. It's, it's just a dead talk. It's a dead letter like the Bible says about the Old Testament. It's a dead letter. It's got to be of the Spirit. And if it's of the Spirit, it's going to be quickening. It's going to be life-giving. There's going to be vision in there. 1 John, notice the words. I believe you've caught on to what, we're, what our theme is here. And we'll start in verse 1 and read down. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we've handled of the word of life. 
the word of life. I mentioned oracle earlier as a definition for vision. One of the definitions. Oracle is the living word. It's the living word of God. It's the life word, the living word. It's revelation word. That's an oracle. That which we have handled of the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested. You could say revealed or demonstrated. Those are other definitions of that word. For the life was manifested, demonstrated, revealed, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested, demonstrated, revealed unto us that which we have seen and heard declare. We unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So walking with the Father in fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, with the word, seeing and hearing. He talks about these things right we unto you. We can take the written word. We can take the spoken word. And when we're walking with him, he will speak to our heart and we will have fellowship. We will have light. It takes light to see what he's showing. He says, if you're not walking in fellowship in, with him, you're walking in darkness. Well, that's what took place back in Genesis 6. They were not walking in him. They were walking in darkness. Their heart was darkened, their imaginations were messed up, and violence and corruption came out of them and destroyed the earth. The earth turned inside out. Everything broke up and was destroyed and had to start over and doesn't even look the same as it used to. Not the original creation. Because of their heart. And we're here to fix it. And Jude said, I see the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. Well, there's going to be some fixing. It's going to come in stages where we're going to fix this thing and put it back the way it's supposed to be and better. So there's light. Now, remember Moses and that burning bush? He saw the bush burning. What did he do? Did he just go, oh, that's neat, and just keep on doing what he was doing? Did he glance at it? Or did he go over there to see caught his attention and then he responded to see more. What is this sight that I see? A bush burning, but it's not consuming the bush. The fire is not consuming the bush. When we walk with him in fellowship, we're walking in the light. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, in his light we see light. So when you get something from him, when you're reading the scripture, when, when someone's teaching the word and you're listening to it and you get a revelation, a vision some light comes, some, just, even if you're not quite sure what it is, you just, there's a quickening there. Look. Draw in. Draw into his presence. Believe that he is. He's there. His presence is where his word is spoken to you. When he's there, he's got a gift for you. Revelation's a gift. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. 
It's a gift to know him. He gives wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding enlightened. He gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Don't despise his gift. Receive his gifts. All right, let's go back to Habakkuk, chapter 2. And we're going to continue on there and just break down these verses a little bit and just see some things there. So we see the Lord speaks in vision, okay? And in verse 1, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Another word for tower would be a fortress or a stronghold. It's a safe place. It's a fenced place from an enemy. It's a secure place. Why is he standing himself upon the tower? And will watch to see what he will say unto me. Another way that's rendered is in me. What he will say in me. What he will say within me. The Amplified says, in me. I'm going to watch to see what the Lord is going to say in me. And what I shall answer when I'm reproved. When I'm reproved also translates when I'm argued with. There's going to be some spiritual warfare. The enemy also tries to give visions and imaginations and thoughts. Some call it worry. You start imagining the worst. You start thinking the worst based on something you saw in the news. Has there been plenty of that lately? What's your image look like? What do you see when you close your eyes? What are you thinking without even thinking about it? It'll affect you. Guaranteed. You can't feed on trash and not live a trashy life. Watch and see. I'm going to stand upon my watch. I'm going to guard myself while I'm listening to the Father, listening to the Lord, and I will watch to see what he will say in me. And this thing better line up with the word. It better come with some peace. And it better give me some good godly vision. And what I'm going to answer when I'm reproved, when I'm argued with. What are you going to answer when you're argued with? What he said. So if he says, look, here's my scripture. You've been dealing with health. By my stripes, you were healed. And then a pain comes. And the enemy's like, you're not getting it. What are you going to answer? No, he said by his stripes, I'm healed. That's my answer. I, my answer to the contradiction is what the Lord said in the first place. You got it? What I'll answer when I'm argued with. The devil is a liar and he's an arguer and he tries to mess things up. If you go over to Proverbs 29, I'm just going to show you something quick here, just a quick verse before we go to the next place. Proverbs 29, verse 18, he says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Everyone's got a vision. The ones that are perishing got a vision. That's what took place in Genesis 6. This vision here, I like the Amplified. It, it, it brings out the light of it a little better. Where there is no redemptive revelation, the people perish. Without a vision and a revelation from God, from his word, that is good, people perish. Why? Because they got the wrong 
imagination, the wrong vision, the wrong thing, and that's what's guiding their life to death. Where there is no vision from God, the people perish. Okay? Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're just going to see a little more about this spiritual warfare because it takes place in the thoughts, it takes place in the mind, and we've got to stand against it. And what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start in verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Well, there's good strongholds and bad strongholds. In Habakkuk, we were talking about standing on our good stronghold, our safe place. In context here, he's talking about negative strongholds, demonic strongholds. Casting down, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down imaginations. Another word for imagination is arguments. What I shall answer when I'm argued with? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself or every proud thing, every lofty thing. Anything that's pride is of the enemy. Any proud thought, any lofty thought, anything that says, no, I know God said that, but that's pride. I know he said I'm healed, but that's pride. If he told you you're healed, you're healed. If he told you you'd give and it would be given unto you, it will. Anything contrary to that is a proud thought. It's high and lofty, setting itself up against the knowledge of God. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy came as a serpent, and he says, Oh, yeah, uh, God didn't say that. What he really meant was, he knows that when you eat this fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Took the word, twisted it, exalted it above what he had said. Unfortunately, they submitted to it, and here we are. Bottom line is, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We need to cast down imaginations. How? We need to speak what he said. You've got to put it in your mouth. You can't fight thoughts with thoughts. Try it. See how far you get. You'll just get on a circle. Everyone knows. You've all been there. Some of you might have even done it all night long. Woke up in the morning worse off than you were the night before. But better staying up all night and dealing with it. And every high thing that exalts itself, every proud thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What obedience? Pulling down every stronghold, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, not letting it rise up, bringing it down. Humble your thoughts, humble your imagination. In humility, you'll win the pride fight. Sounds funny, because pride is puffed up, and humility submits. But the Lord gives grace to the humble. And if you humble yourself under his mighty hand, First Peter says in First chapter 5, he will exalt you. Humble yourself to what he said, and he will lift you up above that lie. Put it in your mouth, believe it, 
No, the Lord said this, for Abraham it was, so shall my seed be. Just like those stars, so shall my seed be. <laughs> did he get any results? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, Proverbs 4, we'll go there and we'll see some more application that we can use ourselves in this not only good fight of faith to fight the contradictions, but also to advance. Proverbs 4, verse 18, we'll start there. The path of the just, or the righteous, is as the shining light. Shining light, light. We've been talking about light, vision, seeing. You could say revelation. The revelation, the vision, the unveiling. That shines more and more into the perfect day. Remember, in his light we see light. When you see something, draw near to see more. What's he showing me? It's progressive. It's like the sun rising. It just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. You may not see it all at once. You may not get it the first time you hear the teaching. You may not get it the first time you read the verse. You may not get it the first time someone shows you something. You might see a little bit, but you're still looking at going, well, what do I do with this? I mean, I like it, but what? It says, a shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. How do they not know what they're stumbling? Because they're dark. Dark imaginations, dark thoughts. They're tripping. Their lives a mess. Things are going wrong. They don't want it to because they're thinking one thing and another thing's happening. Why? Out of the abundance of the heart. They're walking in darkness. They're not fellowshipping with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, through the Word, by His Spirit. Verse 20, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thy eyes. That's why we write it down. That's why John wrote it down. In 1 John, he says, these things we have written, what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've touched, what we've handled. Why? So that you can keep your eyes on it. It's not good enough just to hear it. You've got to write it so you can keep your eyes on it. And keep them in the midst of your heart. So there's eyes, and there's ears, and there's heart. For they, those words, that revelation, is life unto those that find them, and health, medicine to all their flesh. Out of your heart comes your health. So if he said, you are young, you are strong, if he says your youth is renewed like the eagles, you're not experiencing that? You might want to go a little deeper. It's not enough to know about or having heard. You got to know. You got to know. Do you see yourself healed? Do you see yourself in good health? This word is medicine to all your flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. Above all that you guard, if you're going to guard anything with diligence, more so than anything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. How do you guard your heart? Well, he just told us. Your eyes, your ears, and he's going to go on and tell us your mouth. What you're seeing, what you're hearing, and what you're saying. We got two eyes, we got two ears, we got one mouth because it goes both directions. What you say affects your heart, and what's in your heart is what you say. 
Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word issues there is a spring. The flow, the outflow of your life is coming out of the heart. It also means boundary. There's a fence. There's a border. How far your life goes is based on that boundary in your heart. Now there's a good part of that boundary and a bad part. The good part, whatever you build in as a stronghold of the word of God, the word of faith, the word of love into you, is a fence and a boundary against the enemy. It's displacement. So, bringing every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ, how are you going to bring consciously every thought into captivity? You'd never be able to do anything else. Every thought that's going through your mind and checking it, and then consciously doing it, you can't do it all consciously. You can do it to a degree, especially really rapid ones that are just staying there. But every single little thought, there's thousands of them. Thoughts. Thoughts you don't even think about consciously. Thoughts. There's inner thoughts. Deep down. By putting the word in, you will replace what's in there and displace it. Okay? Just remember that. Replacement by displacement. You can't, two things can't occupy the same space. If you get full of, of righteousness, you get full of his word, it'll push out the other. So now that fence, that out of your heart flow, the issues of life, that fence, that's now a boundary and a border against the enemy's junk and lies coming at you. Do you get it? Those lies coming at you, they're so obvious because you know you got the truth. Out of your heart, there's a fence. But also, you want to expand that boundary. You want to live a bigger, better more advancing life. So as you feed on the word and as you get that stronger vision and revelation, that fence goes further and further and you can go further in life. It's a two-sided fence. You, you, you expand your borders, but you keep out the intruders. Out of your heart is the boundaries, the forces, the issues, the flow of life. Now we need to guard this. Remember we said, you got to guard your eyes. What are you seeing? Don't look at stuff you don't need to be looking at. What are you hearing? What are you listening to? But also, he says in 24, put away from the froward mouth and perverse lips. Got to guard what you're saying. Let thine eyes look right on, thy eyelids straight before thee. Ponder the path of your feet, what you're doing, where you're going, how you're living. Let all your ways be established. How you do things. Why you do things. Do you need to do that thing? Is there something you should be doing? Turn not to it, to the right hand or the left. Remove your foot from evil. So don't stray. Stay on that straight and narrow path. What he said, how he's prescribed our life to be, how he's designed us as men, as new creations in Christ Jesus, that's the way we live. That's the straight and narrow. That's the way we go. <clears throat> now, we were in Habakkuk. And we've mentioned these things some of these things, and we'll just be repeating, but repetition is good. I know it's good for me, so it's good for you too. If you don't know it, just accept it and you'll like it. Habakkuk 2, 2. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Value and honor what he says to you enough to write it down. You might forget it if you don't. You might think you remember. But I challenge you. 
If you're really in the spirit and receiving something from him like that, it's really easy to forget because you didn't ever know it. It came out of here. He was speaking to you. You haven't yet learned it. So to leave it for a day or two or whatever, if you don't forget completely, you're trying to recall it. Have you ever had that? You're like, what was that? What was that? Value it and honor enough to write the vision, write the revelation down. That's what the notebook's for. Put it somewhere that you won't lose it. I've received things before, and you see something in a flash, and it's so clear, and it's so vivid. And I go to write it down, and it takes a half an hour and two pages. But I saw it in a split second, and boom! Or you try to explain it to someone, like my wife, and it takes an hour? Took a few seconds to receive it, took a half hour to write down, and an hour to explain. Why? Because I'm endeavoring to get that image across to her. If you write it down, you can look at it and handle it and see it and speak it and hear yourself saying it and in his light will see light. Write the vision. Make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. Make it plain upon tables. Tables is plural. Two tables. We've got to write it in two places. You've got to write it in a physical place or if you do iPads. And you've got to write it in a spiritual place. Now, I'm sure we all understand how to write something physically. Type it, write it, ink, computer, phone, whatever. But what about the spiritual place? Over in Psalm 45, he gives us a hint. And he says in Psalm 45... First verse, my heart is bubbling over with a good matter. Well, good matter is a God matter. It's a good thing. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue. I got to say it. The vision he gave me, say it. That's how you write it on your heart. Proverbs 3 tells us a little more about that because it says write it upon tables that same word tables in Habakkuk is the same word tables in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. He says, write them upon the table of thine heart. Heart. We've been talking about the heart. And he's calling it a table, a tablet. That's the Hebrew word, it's tablet. Write it on the tablet. Do we use the word tablet today? It goes way back. The tablet of the heart, the original tablet. Better than any computer, I'll tell you. No technical difficulties. Unless you feed it trash, just like these other things. All right. So we've seen that. Now write it on the table of your heart. Go to Joshua. Actually, before you go to Joshua, stop in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I like this verse. This is a good one. I love it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed, we've been talking about revealed, light, revelation, vision, belong unto us and to our children forever. Write it down so you can have it forever. Why? 
that we may do all the words of this law. Was the law written down? We've got it right here. How are we going to do all the words of this law? It's got to be revealed. Without revelation, there's no application. How are you going to do the law unless you have revelation? And the ones that tried to do the law without revelation got into works, self-righteousness, pride, and that's what Paul refutes in his New Testament letters, is trying to gain righteousness by doing the law according to a dead letter. But we're of the Spirit, and the Word's written on our heart. If you go down into chapter 30, he says in verse 14, The Word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that you may do. In your mouth, in your heart, that you may do. Write it on the table of your heart. Put it in your mouth to write it on your heart so that you can do it. Joshua chapter 1, he expounds on this yet further. And this is the Lord talking to Joshua who's about to take all of Israel, hundreds and thousands and even millions of men and women and children into the promised land. Moses is now dead. And here's Joshua. <laughs> And he's got to lead all these people? Uh, <laughs> the Lord's telling him how he's going to do it. And he says in verse 7, Joshua 1, 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou may observe to do. Observe to do. See to do. You've got to see it so you can do it. According to all the law which... Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. That's what he said in Proverbs. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left so that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. The book. He said book. So what is written is written in the book. And what's written in the book, we've got to put it in our eyes, we've got to put it in our ears, and we've got to put it in our mouth. Now you can hear someone speak it, you can hear yourself speaking it. It's still in your ears. And you put it in your mouth, it'll write it on your heart so that you can do it, so you can observe to do it. The book of the law shall not depart of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and have a good courage? I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. There are certain things. It takes strength, confidence, and courage to even observe to do what the Lord's saying to you. So you've got a plan or a desire or a call on your life that's beyond what you even think possible or you even see any way of doing it based on history, based on how you see yourself, based on what others have said or what others have done or how the world looks today. Some things are going to take courage and strength to once you see that burning bush, once you see that light, to press in and see more and see me, or for yourself, you, doing it. It's going to take courage. Because if you don't like what you see, you'll likely draw back and just stop looking, and then it's just, it's shut off. Keep looking. 
keep looking. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to Habakkuk. We'll continue on there. In verse 3, 2, 3. The vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Look at that. The vision is for an appointed time. At the end it will speak. At the end of what? When it's full in your heart. When it's, when it's clear and it's in the abundance of your heart, it's going to speak. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. In Matthew 12, he said, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. At the end, that vision is going to speak. So you speak it as part of meditating. It's not the only way you meditate, but it's a part of it. You speak. You mutter, you ponder, you talk about it, you think about it, you look at it. But when it's full, when it's come to a conclusion, at the end it shall speak, and it won't lie. When we are speaking what the Lord gave us, His Word, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside life. It's not a lie. It's the truth. It's not a deception. The truth is what's in our heart. The truth is what He said. It'll surely come. Wait for it. Give it time. It might take a little time to build the image. It might not be just a snapshot. It might be like a painter on a canvas. Painting, coloring, filling in, putting all the pieces together. And little by little, and then it's done, and you speak. You speak it. You speak it. So you speak it to see it. And then you see it and speak it. And it becomes. Uh, Verse 4. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, the final point I want to discuss is Grace, it takes humility to receive grace. Grace is important to understand. And if you look here, he says, look, his soul is lifted up. That means proud. It's not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. We started with Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. It's revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. This is telling us that the righteous by faith are humble people. It takes humility to receive the righteousness by faith. The righteousness of God by faith takes humility. And I can prove it to you in Romans. If we go to Romans chapter 3, and you look at verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, or the word declare to demonstrate his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, to demonstrate. He's showing us something. Declare. The word declare is an interesting word. It's got to do with 
speaking but showing. They're, they're connected. It's not just speaking. Otherwise, he would have just said. It's not just saying. It's not just words. It's a, it's a word with a demonstration. He's showing. He's making something known. To declare his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Where is boasting then? I like the Amplified. It says, then what becomes of our pride? Where's boasting then? How can we boast? How can we have pride in this? It's excluded. By what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Declared righteous by faith without the deeds of the law. The pride need to earn it. The proud need to say, I did it myself. The proud won't receive a gift. No, no, you don't have to do that. No, I'm not good enough for that. Or, you know, I, I make my own way. Or, you know, I don't need your handout. But humility says... Jesus, you did all the righteousness. You have become my righteousness, and through faith in your blood, your death, burial, and resurrection, I declare that I am the righteousness of God. I speak it, and I see it, and I'm living it. No pride in that, especially when you do something or think something or whichever that is contrary to what righteousness does. Keep that righteousness, that consciousness, that awareness in your heart. And out of the abundance of your heart, you'll live. It doesn't go the other way. It comes out of here. Romans 4, go over to 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Okay? So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It takes faith to receive righteousness. And then it takes being righteous to live by faith. But it's a gift of grace. Now, the word grace is interesting. In the Strong's Concordance, it lets us know that it means grace. Well, what's grace? Grace is a gift. Grace is free favor. Free favor. I'm giving you a gift. Another definition in the Strong's Concordance is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. That's grace. It's of faith so that it might be by grace. When he speaks, there's a divine influence on our heart. We've got vision. He speaks in vision. And it's going to reflect and manifest in our life. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, as it is written. Remember we said, write the vision? I've made thee a father of many nations before him, like him, like God, Abraham, whom he believed, God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. I like the Young's literal translation personally better. Not that this is wrong. I just like the wording. He calls those things that be not being. Not as though they were necessarily, but being. There was darkness over all the deep. And God didn't come up and say, oh, there was light. No, he said light be. He looked at darkness, but he didn't say, no, there's, there, there was light, past tense. 
He didn't call it as though it were light. He said light be. When the Tower of Babel was being, that whole fiasco, that thing with the imagination of their heart and they're all one language and they're building this tower that's going to reach up to heaven and all that mess. God looked, saw that. He didn't say, oh, well, they're, they're already confused. They're not confused. They're in agreement. They're building something. He said confusion. And when he did, confusion took place. So we call things that be not being. Remember we said it will not lie. It's not a lie to speak what he said. I don't have to be looking at what I'd like it to be in order for it not to be a lie when I speak light. If I'm looking at darkness and I say light, I'm not lying. I'm creating. All right, you got that. So he calls those things that be not being. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He says your seed's going to be like these stars. It's going to be like the sand on, the, on, on all the earth, on the sea. He says against hope he believed in hope. Against hope? Against what hope? Against the contradictory hope. Against the, the thoughts of the enemy. We're supposed to pull down those strongholds, everything that exalts against the knowledge of God. Against hope. The old expectant. See, the old way of, of doing things, that old thing, against that hope, he believed in hope, the hope of according to your seed be. That hope. That he might become the father of many nations. Uh, 19, being not weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. Contradiction, that old hope. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not the promise of God through unbelief. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he promised he was able also to perform. The humble get the grace and faith apprehends it and it manifests in the life. Hallelujah. You got it? Now, in, in Exodus, I'm just going to show you something that it takes humility to hear. Okay? Hang in there. We're almost there. Exodus chapter 20. It takes humility to hear. It takes humility to receive the grace. It takes humility to even receive the righteousness. Now, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. They drew back. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you. And that his fear, his reverence, his awe of who he is may be before your faces that you sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near. Humility draws near to hear and pride draws back and stops the ear. Pride will stop the ear. It'll, it'll shut it up. I don't want to hear it. No, I don't want to see it. But like Moses, excuse me. <laughs> but like Moses with that burning bush, he drew near to see more. In his light will see light. When you start seeing it, draw near. Are you speaking? What are you showing me? Draw. Humble yourself. Listen. Come close. 
I believe you're getting this. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to begin to wrap this thing up. This will be my last scripture. So if you like scripture, that you can read more later. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. Now this is quoting back from Habakkuk 2. And he says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul, the saving of the thoughts, the saving of the imaginations of the heart, the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That all flows together. I know you says chapter 11 there at the beginning of now faith, but that flows. We're not of them that draw back, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, of things imagined, of things expected, of what he said to me, that vision, that revelation. And faith is the evidence of what's not yet seen. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to speak and bring forth good things. So I'll close with this. Faith receives revelation. Revelation gives faith. God's language is vision, revelation, imaginations, images, light. Okay, his language is vision. Remember Psalm 89, 19. He speaks in vision saying. Faith requires spiritual seeing. While you're thinking, listening or meditating on the word, guard your heart with a stronghold of humility and righteousness. Keep yourself. You've got to always take everything back to the word. The written word doesn't ever change. If you're hearing something and you think it's the spirit of God, make sure. His spirit will not contradict his word. They're one. Write the vision down. Write the vision in your heart. If you can see it, you can be it, you can have it, you can do it. That's it. Thank you, Pastor. I believe you received. Be blessed in your doing. Amen. Remember, the righteous by faith shall live.